Happy are you when you grieve. Happy are you when you are brokenhearted. Never were words so paradoxical in nature spoken as those that Jesus spoke in the Beatitudes. Never had someone made the standard to be like God so high as Jesus had made. But these are the parameters that Jesus gives us if we are to be a part of his kingdom. And tonight, we're going to look at a beatitude that, in my opinion, is the most confusing. And it might also be the hardest to swallow. And that is, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now, before we get into it, uh, would you guys do something with me? Okay, everyone's got a hand, right? Okay, would you take your hand and would you put it on your neighbor? But before you do that, if you're sitting next to a stranger... Don't put your hand on a stranger without asking them. Introduce yourself real quick. Also, guys, guys, if you're sitting next to a girl, um, you know, the Bible says that there's this thing called the laying on of hands. This is not a free card to put your hand somewhere inappropriate. No girl wants your hand on the back of her neck or on her thigh. So let's just, let's just keep it at the shoulder. Sound good? Yeah? Hey, Damani, can you turn me down a little? All right, all right, guys, everyone's got your hand on your neighbor? Everyone's got a hand on your neighbor? Yes? Yes? Jesus, would you speak to us tonight, God? Would you speak to my friends, Lord? Everyone who has a hand on them, God, I pray that you would speak to them, and for anyone who doesn't, I extend my hand towards them, Lord. God, I pray that I would decrease and that you would increase. Speak through me, God, and speak to us, Jesus. We love you and we trust you in your name. Amen. Cool. So if you remember from two weeks ago, Jordan started us out on the series that we are calling the Upside Down Kingdom. And we are looking at the Beatitudes, as I've stated already. Now, the Beatitudes are cool. Um, Jordan, I think he said it so well. They're not about what you do. They're about who God is calling you to be. Uh, And so, as I said, the Beatitude we're looking at tonight is in Matthew 5, 4. And it is, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Okay, and so if you remember what Jordan said about blessed, uh, he just simply said it means to be happy, right? Happy. He was talking about that island, about happiness. And if we're looking at the word mourn, what that means is to be sad, to grieve, right? To be broken over something. So if we make this beatitude a little simpler, it is happy are you when you're sad. That makes sense, right? No. In the words of Winky Prattney, what the fat does this even mean? Like, what does this mean? This is so confusing. I know, I don't, I've never met anyone who actually understood what this meant right away. Um, and if you do, praise Jesus, right? But when most people think about the word mourn, what is the thing they think? What is the thing you think of? Death, funerals, grieving, right? That's generally, usually the thing when you think about mourning, they say someone's in mourning. Um, but is this all that Jesus is talking about? Because clearly, if you look at the scripture, he's saying that we need to mourn something, but he doesn't say what, right? Blessed are those who mourn. Mourn what? Is it simply death, or is Jesus talking about something more? Like, what are some things he could be talking about? He could be saying, you know, happy are you when you get a bad grade on a test and you kind of, you know, go home and cry a little bit. Um, Or he could be saying, you know, you should be happy when your life is a complete mess 
and everything in the world around you is going wrong. Is that what he's saying? Or is he saying, you know, blessed are you when you wake up the morning after you went a little too far and you don't even know what you did, but you know that you're crying. What is Jesus calling us to mourn? And what does he mean by the connecting promise that we will be comforted? So if you guys are still confused, that's okay. Um, Like I said, this is not an easy thing to understand at its face value. But uh, before the night is over, before we even get to the end, we'll see what Jesus calls us to mourn. And then you'll just be left to actually deal with it. (laughs) Because it's not easy. Um, So the layout of tonight is pretty simple. We're just going to look, spend most of the time looking at what this first half of the beatitude about mourning, and then we'll finish up talking about the comfort part. Um, And we're going to do that by looking at the story of Levi. Uh, Levi, oh man, since August, anyone who's at leadership, you heard a little bit of this. I have been like freaking out about this guy. He is, he's awesome. Um, Levi is also known as Matthew. He wrote the gospel of Matthew. So if you've ever read that or seen it, that's the guy we're talking about. So this will be in Luke 5, 27 through 32, and it'll be on the screen. So just read along. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Jesus said to him, follow me. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house. And a large crowd of tax collectors and sinners er, and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but to call sinners to repentance. What a good passage of scripture. I, ah, this is awesome. I'm excited for you guys. Um, so before we actually see what happens, let's just look at Levi. So verse 27 tells us two things about Levi. It tells us that he's a tax collector, and it tells us that he's a Jew. We know he's a tax collector because it says he's a tax collector. That's pretty obvious. And we know he's a Jew because his name is Levi, which is a very Jewish name. It's actually an ancestral Jewish name. So um, if you know anything about Jewish history or like this time period, being a Jew and a tax collector, they they don't go together whatsoever, right? Um, the reason was is because Rome Rome ruled all of uh, all of the the area. Pretty, they were like the world's superpower. They were like America on crack, essentially. And these guys, like, they didn't just like they weren't just the biggest country, but they ruled all the other countries. And one of the countries they ruled was Israel. And as with any country that rules other countries, they take money from them. And so they set up this tax system where um, it, was, it was a lot like tolls and stuff as well. Uh, and so where Levi was working as a tax collector would have been like the main road through Jerusalem. And uh, the way it worked was that like if, uh, if someone came through with like a herd of cow, it might be like a dollar per cow that you had to pay. Just a simple example. So if they had 100 cows, they'd pay $100. Well, what these tax collectors would do is that they would look at it and they'd count and they'd say there's 100 cows. And they'd say, well, you owe me 150 bucks. And they'd pocket the 50 on top. And what was so bad about this, not just that they were stealing, but if the Jews didn't pay, they could have their stuff confiscated, or worse, they could be thrown in jail because they were disobeying Roman law. And the Romans didn't care. They were like, hey, we get 100 bucks, you can do whatever else you want. 
They really didn't care. And so it was pretty messed up what a tax collector did in this time, right? They were crooks. They were thieves. Um, but Levi's situation was a little bit worse because he was a Jew. He wasn't a Roman, right? He was a Jew stealing from other Jews. And you kind of wonder, you're like, I mean, how, how does someone get to this place where they're like willing to sell out their own country, their own friends, their own family? How does someone get to this point? Levi, he got to this point because he had an overwhelming desire for wealth, for prosperity, whatever you want to call it. So much so that he was willing to sell out his friends and family in his country. You see, Levi, Levi was subjugated to his choices. Who here has ever seen The Office? Best show on TV. Uh, okay, be brave. Raise your hand if you've never watched The Office or you don't like The Office. Okay, uh, would you come find me afterwards? I want to pray for you. Um, you're missing out. And if you've already seen it, you don't like it, you're still missing out. Uh, sweet. For those who have watched The Office, who likes Toby? Thank you. No, Damani, you're lying. No one likes Toby. Everyone hates Toby. Toby is this guy. He's, he's the human resources representative for the office and he's like this gangly guy he legitimately never has anything good to say not bad he's just boring right and uh he's divorced you know he doesn't see his kid he doesn't his wife doesn't like him at all um and and most of all the boss absolutely hates toby like with a passion and there's one episode in particular where the boss says about toby he says this he says Toby is a part of human resources, which means technically he's corporate. So he's not really a part of our family. Also, he's divorced, so he's not really part of his family either. <laughs> and I remember, like, losing it. I was like, that's really mean, but that's really funny, right? But that's kind of what Levi was like. Levi was a Jew living in a Jewish town, observing Jewish laws, but by every other Jewish person's standard, he wasn't one of them. And neither was he a Roman because he wasn't born a Roman. He hadn't bought his Roman citizenship. Even though he'd sold out to them, he wasn't one of them. And just like Toby, Levi was a part of neither family. You see, his choices and his desires didn't just lead to his subjugation. They also led to his isolation. So we looked at Levi. We know a little bit about Levi. He's a crook right? And he's stealing from his own people. So let's actually see what happens. Uh, verse 27, it says that Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. And we know from the next passage that he goes and talks to him. So <laughs> God, Jesus walks up to him. Now, can you guys imagine what this would have been like to like see Jesus? Like if you were Levi, he was probably sitting there and he was just like, oh, Jesus is coming. He looks like he's coming at me. Uh, maybe I'll just, like, look off and whistle, and, like, you know, maybe he'll go to someone else. And then he looks back, he's like, oh, he's getting closer. Uh, maybe, like, I'll start packing up. Like, he'll he'll see that I'm leaving, so go bother someone else. And then he looks, he's like, oh, he's getting closer. Maybe I just, like, grab my stuff and run. And he's like, ah, oh, crap, he's here. Like, he got here, right? And Levi was totally freaking out because he knew who Jesus was. He had at least heard of what Jesus was doing and heard of his teachings and this was enough to scare him out of his pants, right? Like he, I mean, what do you do when you know that you're wrong and you're in the wrong and you, God walks up on you? Like 
Like, what are you supposed you can't You can't convince God that you are doing the right thing. Like, he's God, right? And so Jesus walks up, and Levi is just like, ah, oh, what do I do? But I love the way Jesus treats Levi. He doesn't walk up. He doesn't point a finger at him and say, you're a crook. Everything you're doing is wrong. Let me tell you everything else that's wrong with your life. Jesus walks up to Levi, and he says two words. Follow me. And what little Levi knew about Jesus was sufficient for him to follow him. And it says that he left everything. That means he left his money. He left his false scales. He left his table. He left everything. And pray some of you would leave everything tonight. So I love where this goes. If you guys don't think that God has a sense of humor or that he's not funny, I'm going to tell you you're wrong because he is very funny. I always tell Jordan my favorite story, but I won't tell you about it. It just involves Jacob, and he slept with the wrong girl. But I don't know how he slept with the wrong girl. Anywho, um, so <laughs> God has a sense of humor. So verse 28 and 29, as you see, it says, Levi got up, left everything, and followed Jesus. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, yada, yada, yada. Do you guys see what just happened? Look at the word then, right? He got up and followed Jesus. Then Levi held a great banquet. Okay, guys, Jesus just invited himself to a party. Like, he pulled the biggest party taboo. No one likes someone who invites himself to a party. Like, if you do it, you don't even feel good. You're just like, ah, right? But, like, Jesus does this all the time. Listen, like Winky talked about it last week with Zacchaeus. I can think of two or three other situations where Jesus invites himself to a party. So if you're that person who invites yourself to parties, at least you can say Jesus does it. So like, you know, like WWJD, um, Jesus does it, so I'll do it. <laughs> but uh, don't do that. It's kind of lame. Uh, but Jesus does it, so I don't know what to think about that, honestly. So Jesus, and we know he does this because Levi follows him all the way back to his own house. And he's like, oh, yeah, I can imagine him walking. And he's like, guys, my neighborhood's up there. Uh, guys, that's my street. Guys, that's my, oh, I guess we're going to my house. Uh, and I picture Jesus, I know this didn't happen, but I like to picture Jesus as like a bro. And he like plops down on the couch and he's just kind of like looking at Levi. He's like, so when is the party going to start? Right? And I know he didn't do that, but I do know that the passage says that Levi threw this party for Jesus and that he invited the only people who'd actually hang out with him, which were other tax collectors. And just so you guys know, this party is not like a party that you or I could throw, right? Like, we can go to Kroger in 30 minutes, but they couldn't go to Kroger in Jerusalem. Like, they couldn't go buy pita and hummus. Like, they had to make this food, and it would have taken them all day. And so that meant that Jesus and the tax collectors and the disciples were hanging out with Levi all day. And anyone who lives in this lovely town um, with its great reputation, you know when your neighbors have guests over, right? Heather and I know we've got people who party five out of seven nights a week, sometimes seven nights a week, um, and their music is loud. You know when guests are over, and people would have known that Levi had guests over, and more specifically, that he had a certain guest, Jesus. And somehow, some way, the Pharisees get wind that Jesus is hanging out with a bunch of tax collectors, and they're like, oh, we're not letting this pass. So they run over, and these bozos show up to ruin the party. I call them bozos. The, the Pharisees are smart in the law, but they're like, they're kind of like, uh, they use like little girl tactics. 
Like, in this instance, they use, like, the tactics of, like, a sixth-grade girl. You know when you're, like, mad at someone, and you don't want to tell them to your face, so you, like, yell it off in the air, knowing that that person's going to hear? That's exactly what they did in this situation. They're like, we're going to get Jesus with this one, right? And so this is what they say. It says they say it to his disciples. And they ask this question, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And I think when they asked this question, everything got quiet. I think the music stopped playing. I think the people stopped talking. I think whoever was making the food stopped. It was like a gunshot, this question. Because every person in that room was, man, like, they're like, oh, what's Jesus going to say? And most of all, Levi was thinking, what is Jesus going to say? Because you see, in this moment, Levi was thinking, these guys are right. I am a sinner. And this is the Son of God sitting two inches from me, but I couldn't be any farther from him. I'm a sinner, and he's God. What am I going to do? And in this moment, Levi realized that his choices had caused him separation from God. Let me ask you guys a question. Were the Pharisees wrong and their assessment of Levi and his friends? No. Levi was a sinner. There is no question about that. He knows it. Everyone else knows it. And he could not escape the fact that he was. And this absolutely broke him. I mean, I don't think Jesus answered this question right away. I think he paused. I think there was a waiting. And in that moment, Levi was just broken. And he was so messed up. Or, to use the words of the Beatitude, he mourned. He mourned his sin. And we asked those questions at the beginning. We're saying, what, what is Jesus calling us to mourn? I believe it is this. Jesus is calling us to mourn our sin. This doesn't exclude the things we talked about, right? This doesn't put them to, to rest, right? But we just need to understand that they are the symptom of a deeper-rooted thing, which is sin. If you go and look in the Bible about what it says about death, it does not say that death is the end-all, be-all. It says that death is the result of sin. And God is calling us to mourn not the symptoms, but the deepest-rooted thing. But if we are going to mourn sin rightly, then we need to understand how God actually views sin. And so I've already mentioned three things, and that's what we're looking at. The first is that sin brings subjugation. The second, that sin brings isolation. And the third, that sin brings separation. The first thing, sin brings separation. This is the most common outworking we see in the Bible. Another word that is easier to understand is enslavement. Enslavement. If you read the book of Exodus, the whole book is about enslavement and the freedom from that enslavement. Actually, two-thirds of the books of the Old Testament have some direct correlation to the enslavement of the Israelites under Babylon and Persia. Before what led up to it, actually in it, and then even the post. It all has to do with this. Paul talks about it in Romans 6 and 7. He calls us slaves to sin. And Jesus himself says in John 8, Truly I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin.
And if we know one thing about a slave, it's that he has absolutely no freedom. You see, whatever is your master, you will be subject to it. And if you are a slave to sin, then you are subject to that sin, which means you have no freedom over it. You might think that you have freedom over it, but you don't. Jordan talked about that with porn. So many people, I've met so many people that say, oh, I, I can stop whenever I want. It's not got a hold on me. Yes, it does. We all have family members who are addicted to alcohol, to drugs, to so many different things. We've seen them enslaved. You know it personally, right? We, we have friends who from high school, I remember in college, there was people that I knew from high school, I was like, no way they're ever going to be in that lifestyle. But they're so consumed, they can't get out on their own. In fact, I know for certain that there are some of you in this room right now who are currently enslaved to your sin. And you know it. And you know deep down that you can't free yourself from it. Levi was enslaved. I mean, how does someone get to that point where they're willing to sell out their friends, their family, and their country? Unless they're enslaved. The next thing we see is that sin brings isolation. Um, the B Old Testament talks about this. The Old Testament says that uh, in, in the Mosaic Law that if you sinned that and it was something that caused you to be unclean, that you actually had to go be isolated outside of the camp for a time. And so in the law of God, he is saying that the result of sin will be isolation. That is one of the results of sin. Um, we don't just see this in the Bible. We see it um, in our lives, in, the, in movies, right? Uh, I knew a girl in high school. She was addicted to crystal meth. Weirdly, her name was Crystal. But she was addicted to crystal meth, 17 years old. And I remember over the course of the school year, watch, seeing her at lunch, seeing her body legitimately deteriorate. She was not a, th a thin girl, but she became a skeleton. And I also noticed that her friends stopped sitting with her. And so me being a curious person, I was like, why did they stop sitting with her? Come to find out they didn't stop sitting with her. She stopped sitting with them because they got in the way of her and her drugs. They kept telling her to stop, and she said, I'm done with y'all. And she isolated herself. We see it with people who cheat on their spouses. A lot of times the cheater doesn't only lose their spouse, they lose the person that they were cheating with, right? And they're alone. In fact, one of my favorite movie uh, references is this guy. I wonder if you can see it. Darth Vader. It's kind of dark. But Darth Vader, uh, Star Wars fans, I know y'all are here. Um, Darth Vader, in episode two of Star Wars, he loses his mother, and he kind of goes off the deep end a little bit. He's still a good guy at this time. And then in episode three, he has these dreams that his wife is going to die. And he's like, oh, no, no. I know what it's like to lose someone I love. I am not losing her, too. I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure that she lives. And he inevitably joins the dark side and becomes Darth Vader. And it's so sad what happens. He goes on to kill a bunch of little kids, right? He actually, it's implied that he is the re he's the person who killed his wife unintentionally. It is implied that he is the reason why she died. And he loses his best friend and his mentor. And in this final fight, he gets his arm and both his legs cut off and then severely burned, which is what leads to him having the nice animatronic black suit in his helmet. But if you watch episode three, at the very end, when his iconic helmet is coming down on his face, he's not, like, excited. He's actually, like, shaking in fear. Because at that moment, 
Darth Vader knew that he would be completely isolated from everyone and everything that ever mattered to him. And it was all because of his, his own choices. And you don't have to be a drug addict. You don't have to cheat on your boyfriend and girlfriend. You don't have to join the dark side <laughs> to be isolated by your sin. When you cheat on a test, when you lie to your parents, when you do something you know you should not have done and your conscience told you not to and you still did it, you are slowly but surely isolating yourself because of your sin. And you will inevitably end up like Levi, where he was alone at his tax booth. He was alone. So sin brings subjugation. Sin brings isolation. And finally, sin brings separation. This is the most devastating result of sin. It may not seem like it is, but it is. The Bible says that God is holy, and it also says that sin is not. Pretty easy to understand. Paul calls us all sinners who have all shall fallen short of the glory of God. And John says in his letter, one of his letters, that if we say we don't sin, we actually deceive ourselves. Right? So we get this clear idea from the Bible that we are sinners. And if sin cannot reside with holiness, then we are the ones who cause the separation, not God. And this is a, one of the reasons why Jesus died on the cross. He didn't just die to save us from our sin. He died to restore relationship to us and God that we messed up. And we all know what these things feel like, right? We know what it feels like to be trapped by our choices, to be like, oh, man, I can't get out of this one. We all know what it's like to be alone because of the things we've done, to have everyone we thought around us get mad at us and leave. We know what it's like to feel like no one actually understands what's going on and no one's near to us. Those are just the, the daily outworkings of these things. But this does not just affect us. This affects God. In fact, it affects him far more than it affects you. No matter how much you feel one of these things, God feels it that much more. You see, the reason why God abhors the subjugation of sin is because he is the rightful ruler of your life, not sin. The reason why God detests the isolation of sin is because he did not create man to be alone. We see that with Adam. He said it is not right for him to be alone, and he found him a partner. The reason why God hates the separation of sin so much is because he is able to see that it is not a temporal separation from God, but it will be an eternal separation from God if it is not dealt with. God never intended sin for us. He gave us free will, but he did not intend the de for the devastating results of sin. You see, we are God's most important creation. But when we sinned, we ruined what he made. And this causes God's heart to break. The Bible says that God is broken over our state. It says that he grieves. It says that he mourns. And God asks us to mourn sin because he first mourned sin. God will never ask you to do something that he hasn't first done himself. Always remember that. 
And going back to the story, man, just what was Levi thinking? He was just like, Jesus, you're two inches from me, but I might as well be a million miles away from you. Levi started to understand what it meant to mourn his sin and to be broken over it. And he sat there and he waited for Jesus' answer. And this is what Jesus said. It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but to call sinners to repentance. Blessed are you when you mourn, for you will be comforted. Levi was a sinner, guys. There is no question about that. He knew exactly what it was like to be so far from the heart of God, yet be so close physically. He knew what his sin has done to his friends, to his family, what it had done to himself. Levi knew at his core that he was a sinner. But never in history do I think someone was ever so happy to be called a sinner as Levi was in this moment? For Jesus had said it was the sinners that he came to save. The sinners, not the righteous. Jesus came to save sinners. I want to call the band back up. Um, we're, we're getting close to the end. Jesus came to save sinners like you and me. Thank you, Jesus, that we're not as righteous as we think we are. Thank you that we don't think we're like the Pharisees. Do you guys know why this is such a comforting thought? This word that Jesus uses for comfort is not what you and I would think. It's no, it doesn't mean to make you feel better after you feel really sad. This word that Jesus uses for comfort means to give strength or hope to. And in this case, it means to give strength or hope to someone who knows how helpless and hopeless they really are because of their sin. You see, Levi was helpless. He was hopeless. He was broken. And he realized what his sin was. And he realized there was literally nothing he could do. That's where we need to be. And then Levi did the only thing he could do. He brought his sin to Jesus. And he did not try to convince himself that his sin was okay. And if there's one thing, Jesus speak. If there's one thing that I pray you'd get from tonight, it's this. That until you see your sin for what it is, you will never go any further with God than you currently are right now. I'll say that again. Until you see your sin for what it is, you will never go any further with God than you currently are right now. But, this is a good but, but when you see your sin for what it is, then you will be able to embrace the comfort Jesus talks about. And guys, this is not a comfort of this world. This is not a comfort that you have known this is not a comfort that's like, let me give you a hug and a pat on the back and, and let me tell you a few encouraging words. This is a comfort, comfort that is found in a person.
his presence. And that person is Jesus. And it's comforting because he is the only one who can actually do something about your sin. Comfort is found in Jesus. Blessed are you when you mourn, for you will be comforted. Happy, happy are you when you see your sin for what it is, and what it has done to the heart of God, and you want to do something about it. For Jesus says, it is you who will be comforted. This is not a maybe. This is a will. (laughs) Jesus will comfort you. If you're new, you probably noticed for the past six weeks that people keep coming to the front. Um, This is a place we call the altar. And uh, what the altar is, is it's a place where we come and sacrifice, right? We come to lay ourselves down at the feet of Jesus and say, do with me what you will. And it's not a magical place. There's nothing, you know, mystic about it. But a lot of times it just takes coming out of your seat to really enter what Jesus is uh, wanting to do in your life. And so I invite you to come. Seek Jesus at the altar. Ask him. This is not a fun question, guys. But if you want to go further with Jesus, you need to ask him to show you, to begin to show you the weight of your sin. And then ask him to give you tears and to be broken over it. And then ask him to be the one to comfort you. Don't leave this room the same way you came in. Don't leave this room trying to convince yourself that your sin is okay. No matter how small it is. The Bible says that you bring, if you're going to bring an offering but you have a sin against your brother, go and reconcile with him first. Reconcile with God first before you go do anything else. This is who Jesus is calling us to be. This is what this beatitude is about. That in the full view of our sin, in the full knowledge of what it has done to ourselves, to the people around us, and to God. We are to find the only true source of comfort and hope and strength in the person of Jesus, in the man who came to save sinners. Would you pray with me? Jesus, speak to our hearts. Speak to us, Jesus. Lord, would we find comfort in you? Not a comfort, not a temporal comfort, a comfort that we can rest assured, Jesus, that you, you are our victor. You will free us from enslavement. You will free us from isolation. You will free us from separation. Jesus, I pray that you give people courage to come, to seek you. Lord, we love you, and we trust you, and we ask you to work in our hearts, God.